Good evening, everyone. I'm having uh, technical difficulties this evening. This is a bummer. I don't, I'm on my phone because I can't get my computer to function here tonight, but it's okay. It's all right. Um, this is going to be the last, uh, the last one of these we're doing uh, for Farm Green this year. It's been a blast. I mean, an absolute blast. Um, you know, I want to, I want to dwell on a couple things here. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to do here for myself what, what I do for everybody else. I'm going to ask myself what's on my mind. Uh, so Rick, what's, what's on your mind right now? Um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, about these input costs and how expensive they are. And I, I'm hearing these, these stories of $600 cash rent, $500 cash rent. I, I don't know where this is all going to end. I, I don't know. I don't know how, how we can continue to, to function at record high levels of input prices. And on top of that, cash rents that are, that are north of 500. Um, so that's, that's been on my mind this week. And then the other part of that, that that's been on my mind is how do we make how do we make it so that our young folks can get started in farming? I mean, it's almost become impossible for for a young person to to have a way to to get in. So that's that's what I've been thinking about this week. So, um, and and I don't think I've got chat, or if I do, yeah, I probably do. Yeah, okay. Um, is there anybody out there? Hey, Bryce, how you doing? Uh, saw Bryce was at a, at a soil health event this week or maybe last week. Uh, anyone out there want to, uh, want to let a rip here with a, with a quick question. And, and I think we've got a guest on this evening. That's, uh, I think Mitchell's driving down the road toward his home. Mitchell, you there? Cruising through Iowa and it's snowing and, uh, yeah, traffic's not moving all too quick. So, yeah. but we're going to make it. I'm, I'm most of the way home, but yeah, thanks for uh, letting me hop on and hang out. And yeah, uh, yeah I heard I, with your, uh, with your input stuff, I heard the other day, these guys were talking that they had somebody that locked in a five-year rental agreement for $475 per acre per year. And uh, for, for the next five years, I was like, holy crap. Like, yeah. so it's not over, you know, it's not over that $500 or that $600 like you're talking, but still to be locked in at 475 for five years, that's, uh, uh, I don't know. Um, that seems risky to me. It seems a little risky. And to, I highly doubt that we're going to maintain the commodity prices that we've got over a five-year period. I mean, obviously I would, I'd love it on my farm. It'd be awesome, but, uh, yeah. but I just don't see it happening. So right. What I, right. what I do see happening is interest, interest rates are going to keep going up and input costs are not going to come down anytime soon. And yeah. that's going to remain there, but the commodity prices themselves, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know it's it's just it's just crazy. Yeah, um, we've got a question here from Jay. Uh, can you plant oats after established rye in the spring, and combine both, or would the rye overcompete the oats? 
Um, that's a that's a good question, Jay. Um, I don't think the or yes, I do think the rye would overtake the oats. Uh, could you please give me a, a a little more feedback on why you would like to do that? It's something I've not thought of. Uh, enlighten me on what what your thinking process there is. Maybe you're wanting more diversity, like I've been talking lately. I, I'm not sure, but you know, if you've got 30 pounds of rye planted. I think it'd be fine. But if you've got a hundred pounds of rye planted, I, I don't think the oats stand a chance. Um, I think it'll take them out. I agree. Um, and, and my thought, my thought being, why would you do it in the fall? Why not, if you're going to plant oats, do the oats in the spring and uh, maybe graze down that rye in the spring or something like that, then plant some oats if you want some diversity or want it to yeah. get some extra forage value or something like that. Maybe, maybe do it in the early spring so that way, when that rye is starting to green up, then your oats are taken off. And if you're going to get some value out of them. Yeah. 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 So if you don't mind, Jay, give me, give me a little more thought there on what you're thinking. Uh, we've got John here from California. I, I love these. I love the California people because we think we've got high cash rent. Oh boy. We're, we're you're, you're, it's nothing. There's in the two thousands out there, but anyway, uh john is saying 500 to 600 cash rent question mark that's crazy that's the going rate for plenty of ground in central california for trees what does an acre run these days in your part of the world are folks making money to swing that well i, I don't know john i don't see how they can be making money uh, on that acre i think what happens here is i think operations are looking at this as an average across the board. And they've probably got some low cash rent ground. They've probably got some ground they own. And then when you add in the higher cash rent, and then at the end of the day, you run the average across your whole farm, then that average doesn't look too bad or it looks like it could be profitable. So. To say that $500 an acre ground is going to make money, I don't know. But if you look at their whole operation, yes, they're probably making money at the end of the day, if that, if that makes sense. Um, Bryce is saying interest rates are going to kill guys that live off their line of credit. That's exactly right, Bryce. We're, not, we're, we're used to paying you know, one or 2%, maybe 2% max. So what is that? If you've got a million dollars borrowed at 2%, is that just 20,000? And now that that line of credit interest is going to go up well over 100,000. So you got it, Bryce. That quickly becomes one of your line items for profitability now. And, and I don't see it slowing. I mean, it's slowing down, but we, we might crack 8% here before this thing's all said and done. We're going to probably get to seven for sure. So um, anyway, uh, Andrew Moore, could you broadcast slash drill wheat or rye now? And what is your seeding rate? You bet, Andrew. Um, I don't know where you are. So go ahead and toss that in there while I'm answering this. Um, I'm in central Indiana. Okay, wheat or rye question. I'm in central Indiana. Also, would you drill peas? or wait till spring. I do both right now. Um, it's going to freeze next week. I mean, freeze hard. Uh, we planted our peas about, uh, gosh, it's probably been 12 to 15 days ago now. 
And uh, I just put a, a post on there the other day where they've got about an inch and a half long sprout on them or hypocotyl, or I'd always get it confused. I think it's the hypocotyl that comes out first. But uh, we're in great shape and, and they're going to hang out and they're going to be fine and they'll come out next spring and they're going to take off. But to answer your question, Andrew, yes. Um, plant your peas now if you can and get them as deep as you can, two and a half to three inches deep. If you're going to drill, I put them out at about, uh, if this is your only cover crop for corn next spring, uh, I would go at least 70 to 80 pounds. And you've got to go with some kind of a, of a winter or I'm sorry, a cold tolerant pea, like a survivor, an icicle, uh, a Wyoming, an Austrian winter pea, something like that. Um, I don't remember my time period now, but I, I think three years ago, we did not get, uh, uh, we did not get about 1500 acres of cereal rye planted in the fall because it froze on us. So we finished harvest on frozen ground and we could not get the drill on the ground. So we went out with a, with a air boom, a 70 foot air boom, but you could go out with, um, um, you could go out with um, a spinner if you wanted to, or something like that. And we blew on 150 pounds of cereal rye right over the frozen ground. Now, as we all know, the cereal grains have to vernalize, but when you throw them out there at this time of year, between now and spring, they will get an opportunity to, to germinate, then go through a freeze event, and then they will have vernalized, and then you'll be off to the races, and, and now it will not be as good as if you had seed to soil contact uh, six weeks ago but it is better than doing nothing. So yes, Jordan, I think, or uh, Andrew, I'm sorry. Yes, I think you could broadcast uh, your wheat or your rye now, especially rye. And um, again, I think I would be in that 120 to 150 pound rate. And then you can do peas now as well. Bryce has come back with 8% renewals in Kansas already. So that's what Farm Credit's doing in Kansas right now. Wow, they're up to 8% right now. Holy cow. Uh, so, you know, every million dollars uh, borrowed is 80 grand of interest in a year's time. Uh, so, you get big operations rolling and interest is going to become a very major part of profitability. Very major. Uh, hey, John, John from California, I've got a question for you. How are things out there? Are you getting any relief in moisture? Uh, I was out there this summer and spoke in uh, Sacramento area and it, it was dry. Oh my gosh, was it dry? Um, how are things coming out there? Mitchell, you got anything while, uh, while you're driving down the road? I could give my, uh, I could give my California report. I was just out there. Oh shoot. What was it? Maybe, uh, four or five weeks ago now. Um, I yeah. was in the San Jose, uh, San Jose kind of area. So up uh, in the Bay area 
And um, we, I was down on the farm just south of there, a large berry operation. And uh, it looked like they had been getting a little bit more rain. But, I mean, shoot, these guys were, uh, were farming and trying to talk about sustainability. But all these berries, the fields were just completely tilled to crap. Not a living yeah. thing in sight. Plastic um, wrapped up around all the plants. And uh, they thought that they were uh, trying to make some path towards sustainability and regenerative ag. And I was like, guys, wow, we got a long way to go here. Uh, and um, it yeah. was pretty rough. And they were they were talking about uh, taste and taste quality of uh, these berries. And I was asking about bricks level and sugar and working with the biology. And of course, that was not uh, necessarily resonating or on their radar. But what do you think about that, Rick? You've been looking at some of that in terms of quality and bricks. And to me, yeah. if they're wanting to get better tasting berries and fresh fruits for the consumer, working with the uh, diverse biology and focused on bricks levels is the number one key, key thing that they should be talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, you know, and, and we got a, I got a reply here from Claudia Ordonio. Thanks, Claudia. We got rain last week, but we need so much more. Yes, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Um, you know, I know that the, the weather is, is kind of funked up right now, but I think there's psych, I think we're in cycles. Uh, and, and you folks in the West Coast have just been in this tremendous mega year drought. Um, so I think you know, it will slide itself out. Uh, something's going to have to happen because the, the Colorado water basin, which I can't, I think it's seven states maybe that the water's coming from up there on that river. I think they reduced the amount of water by 15% that can be used downstream. I mean, that's incredible. So uh, people are going to have to change uh, the way they're, they're doing things. There's no doubt about it. Uh, John has come back wetter than usual so far, had maybe five rain events so far. Snow in the Sierras are the big reservoir for us, and it is ahead of last year and looks good. But we felt the same last year, and then the moisture stopped come January. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've, I've, I've done a lot of speaking lately in arid environments. Last week I was in Montana. And those folks get six inches of rain or less. And, and I stood up there and I said, guys, you are, the, you are the champions here. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you raise crops on six inches of rain. And, and they, were all, they all had a smile on their face. They were all uh, okay with the way things were. They're, you know, things will change. And wouldn't you know it, I talked to one of them today. And they're having some of the best snow they've had in years. And snow is the best kind of moisture because it'll melt slow. It'll all soak in and, and they'll get it all. So, um, yeah. So, here we go. We got a couple more questions coming in. Um, is, it, is it Molly? Molly Siebert. Hello, I inherited 56 tillable acres in central Indiana. Hi, neighbor. How are you? And our current farmer is not interested in regenerative practices, and I want to improve soil health. My, my husband and I have no background in farming and aren't really sure what our next move should be. We have looked into fully changing the land over to forest 
and meadow in a CRP program, but not sure if we want to fully move away from growing food. Curious if you have any thoughts or resources we could be looking into. Thank you. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna toss this over to Mitchell real quick because Mitchell, folks, I, the, the gentleman we have on with us here is Mitchell Hora. Mitchell Hora is the uh, the owner CEO of Continuum Ag, and he and and Mitchell is at the center of the pulse of the and I we're gonna change this name. We're not gonna call him Carbon Markets anymore, but now Mitchell's at the center of this. And I want him to answer this because you bring up uh, Molly. Is it Molly? Molly, you bring up a great suggestion about a about, about forests and meadows. Mitchell, take it away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks, Rick. And yeah, good to be on. We just kind of said, "Hey, I'm driving, and why don't I just pop on? We'll just hang out here together." So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Mitchell, I'm I'm uh, out in Iowa as well I farm out here but yeah we work with farms all over the world and my suggestion would be number one we got to help your producer to understand uh what the initial baseline is and understand what are we working with so usually when we go on a farm I want to try to get an understanding of what are we dealing with that might include some soil testing like handy testing or just get an understanding of kind of what are the practices that your tenant is doing and what are the goals for yourself, your husband, and for your family legacy. And my encouragement would be to try to keep, you know, keep productivity on it. And uh, maybe there's parts of the farm that are best set aside in CRP or some kind of conservation program if they're not very suitable for production agricultural right. systems. But I mean, we're going to need the production. I mean, we need to try to keep if the acres are, are good and can be profitable and can be good productive acres to keep uh, feeding people and providing, you know, fuel and, and fiber and everything too. Uh, we need to keep making them productive, but might just need to put together a more holistic regenerative plan to uh, make sure that we're thinking thing thinking things through clearly. And uh, and unfortunately, it might take finding a new tenant to be able to do it. Yeah. Hopefully, we can. Hopefully, we can sit down with your tenant and say, we are the here and we want to try to do the best that we can with it we know that we're not farmers we want to work with you we want to have be a team here but we want to make sure that we're doing the best that we can we've got these guys that uh, we're, we're interested in gathering some data to help us to make sure that we're documenting our changes and that we are approaching this from a position of strength like you like to talk rick but a position of intelligence utilizing yeah. data so that we're not just going blind, but right. make sure that we've got a plan. We, we're documenting what's going on. We try to work with the tenant to say, hey, here's our goals and here's where we want to be. You can continue to farm this ground if you would like to, and we're going to tag team and we're going to go at this together. But if you're not going to help us to meet our goals, then we're going to find somebody else who, who will help us. Right. And, you know, hopefully that could be a young producer we can, you know, that you guys can help out and get them going and somebody who does want to work with mother nature wants to regenerate your land and leave it better for the future. But anyway, that's, uh, that's my thoughts. Yeah. And, and Molly, um, Rachel, go ahead and type in there if you would in the, in the comments, sir, would you please type in my, my cell phone number? 
And and Molly, I'm not sure where you are in central Indiana or what that could mean anywhere from here to Richmond, Indiana. Um, let me know where you are. You call me uh, sometime and and maybe I can uh, figure out a way to, 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 to help you out. Um, yeah, there it is. 765-585-2413. Oh, you're in Danville. Okay, great. That's not very far away. Okay. Um, Mike from West Virginia, we've had velvet leaf and Johnson grass in some of our fields. Any recommendations on how to control them? Yeah. And then uh, Nathaniel says, yeah, Johnson grass is a real problem for me too. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, again, I don't know. Okay. You're in West Virginia. Um, so, uh, Mike, I'll tell you, um, we, here in West, in West Central Indiana, we can use cereal rye as a very great weapon against almost all broadleaf weeds, almost all of them. We do not have a velvet leaf problem, only in parts of the fields where we don't get a proper cover crop established. We don't have Johnson grass. So these are things that I think would come for two reasons. Number one, uh, your system is not healthy. We're not balanced. Something's out of balance. Excuse me. I don't know what it is. It's sometimes it's hard to do these live Q and A's because I need so much more information, but just attacking your question from 50,000 feet. The first thing I would do is get a Haney test ran, or I call it a Haney soil health test, get that ran, see what your balance is looking like. And, and then uh, get recommendations on how to bring yourself back into a better balance, a better soil health environment. Then when we get to these, these types of balance, uh, the, the, the broad leaves go away. Uh, most of the grasses disappear. Now we're fighting foxtail right now. And I still think it's lar largely due because I'm out of balance somewhere. And I haven't figured out what the out of balance is yet but something's out of balance. Now, I know everyone wants to tell me calcium, and I understand calcium is a part of that. When you take a Haney test and you look at it, and we've got 2,000 parts per million of calcium availability, I don't think calcium is the problem. But maybe what the problem is, is the proper biology to unlock the calcium we have. So that's what I mean by about getting back into balance, getting that right biology package working and then and then compound that with a beautiful cover crop and we can stymie most if not all all weed problems i mean we live in the heart of water hemp and water hemp is not a problem on our farm because of what i the things i just described so great question hope that helps um let's see what we got here again from john a uh, big issue is Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, yeah, has started limiting pumping and left land values all over the place. Some folks are jumping out at values 70% of what it was two years ago, while others are pricing high $50,000 an acre where water looks good. Now, whoa. Now, you got to tell me what that means. What do you mean? You mean the price of land? Is fifty thousand dollars an acre if you've got water rights? Is that what you're? Is that what you're saying here, John? And yeah. yeah, 
No, yeah, yeah, hearing about some of that stuff. That yeah, if you if you've got grandfathered in rights and whatnot, that uh, that there could be some real opportunity there. But that is just wild stuff. But also oh. keeping in mind, like, okay, how long until the regulations change? Until yeah. the water availability changes again? Like, it's a uh, it's a major impact for right now. But is that just kind of shifting the goalpost a little bit? on the long-term play. And obviously no matter what you got to use the little bit of water that you got, whether it be it's falling from the sky or you've got some water rights or uh, the little bit of water that you are able to pump, you got to maximize your ability to build water holding capacity, build water infiltration. So that way when you get that water, you get it in the system, uh, you know, no matter what, no matter if you've got water or not. Yeah. Yeah, Bryce makes a good point. Remember, pan evaporation rate, Rick, the further north does not fight this issue. We are at 90 inch pan evaporation this year. So it takes three inches for me to equal one inch here. Yeah, I, I, yeah. All the more reason to have armor on your soil because, Bryce, once you get that soil or that moisture in, you don't want it evaporating away. So great, great point. Great point. And, and yes, John, I do remember now you at Sacramento. Yes, uh, we did talk. We talked. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate I love having um, opportunity to talk to folks from other parts of the country or world. That's I'll tell you, that's probably one of my most favorite things about what I'm doing right now with this traveling and teaching is going to places like Sacramento or Montana, and they've got a guy from West Central Indiana who grows row crops, and I asked the question to the audience, how many, how many folks in here are raising corn? You know how many hands went up? Zero. How many folks in here are raising soybeans? How many hands went up? Zero. That, that's not what matters here. It's the message of applying the principles of soil health work everywhere around the world it's just different crops different species different timing different terminations all of these things are different but it's still the same concepts so john thank you for the feedback i love it i want to jump to the end of the q a here did you come back in um let's see also folks buying land can't get loans for fields properties with only well water cash or have the owner float the loan is the only option to buy. Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. So this, I mean, we're, we are reaching uh, critical mass here. Something, something cataclysmic is going to happen. If we're getting to these kind, these kind of things going on, Holy cow. Um, Nathaniel Diller, can you, give those recommendations kind of lost on what to do one of the few organic farmers in my area others i talk to are lost on controlling johnson grass um ludmila thank you foxtail means lack of barley and you know what ludmila i'm glad you're on here tonight um uh ludmila and i are starting to starting to get to know each other better off off of this podcast and we're gonna we're gonna get a Zoom call here soon. But anyway, Ludmila, I I listened to you when you said barley uh, many many podcasts ago. 
and we put barley on over two thirds of all of our acres that we had cereal rye. We added, actually, I did a three way. I did what's called, um, oh shoot, I forgot the word. I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, we added barley, rye, and wheat together. And I did not realize what this was called, but I just happened to come across something on social media and uh, Muslims, I think it's called Muslims, M-I-S-L-A-M-S. What they did 3000 years ago was they planted all of the cereals together and they let each one uh, augment and, 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 and have a symbiotic relationship with each other. And they all flourished this way. And they harvested the grains together and they made their food out of all of those grains as being mixed together. And we're doing the same thing by adding barley and wheat and rye together. I think it's I think it's uh, it's Muslim. I think is the word. I hope that's right. Lou Miley, correct me if I'm wrong. M I S L A M S. I think that's right. Um, let's see here. Okay, uh, Nathaniel, you want recommendations? Okay, here's what I'm talking about. So, what we and I'm assuming this is back to the uh, Johnson grass. Yes, controlling Johnson grass. Now, now, first of all, Nathaniel, we cannot use the word controlling because that that's too strong of a word here but we can talk about suppressing um what we need to do is create a microbial environment that the johnson grass does not want to germinate in so let's go for a moment to what ludmila is telling me about barley what she also told me many podcasts ago was that the barley will take the, uh, is it sodium? Take the sodium out of the profile, which then creates the environment that the foxtail does not want to germinate in. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about creating the biology or the balance so that certain weeds do not want to, to germinate because this is an environment that does not trigger their seed to germinate and come alive. Because if you notice how we get certain things happen in certain years, it's, it's off, obviously driven a lot by weather, but you'll have some years that are terrible for mare's tail, terrible. And then you won't see a mare's tail for the next three years because something changed in the balance that now the, the mare's tail no longer wants to, to live in. So that's what I'm talking about. And then the other thing I'm talking about is getting out as soon as you can in the fall and, and drilling 100 pounds to 120 pounds of cereal rye to the acre. And we are now mixing, uh, again, it's this, uh, this Muslims. Uh, we are going to start mixing wheat rye and barley but now remember we've got to remember what the end game here is for termination if we're going to roll crimp this down you're not going to like it because the wheat's going to be three feet tall the barley's going to be a little bit taller than that and the rye is going to be six feet tall and they're probably not all going to mature at the same time so first of all 
do this only if you are not going to mechanically terminate with a roller cramper. And here's what I love about the principles of soil health. The number two on my list of importance is diversity. Now I have I am of the opinion that I think I think I have hurt our our farm a little bit here by relying on cereal rye too much in the past. And I think what's happening here is we are creating an environment that is extremely high carbon to nitrogen ratio, like 80 or 90 to one. And I have, I have inadvertently, uh, you hear me say this all the time, unintended consequences. The unintended consequence of repeatedly using too much cereal rye is I've changed the balance of the fungi to bacterial relationship. I know I have. And we are sliding back toward a bacterial-based system, which is, has me out of balance. And I think that's what's happening here. So diversity is, is imminent here, is critical. But we also have to understand that when you live in West Central Indiana or, or, or north of me, we have a limited window of when we can plant cocktails of multiple species uh, cocktails. So when you reach that point in the fall of November the 1st, and you've still got a third of your harvest to go, you don't have any choice but to plant a cereal grain. So what I'm trying to do is now diversify within the cereal grain. And I know some people may say, Rick, you're really reaching here. But I have a, I don't know this for a fact, and maybe Lude Mila can come in here and help me, but I'm pretty sure that, that the exudates that are released are different from each of those three cereal grains. So that's why I'm adding barley, um, rye, and wheat. And I think you could add triticale into there if you wanted to, but triticale really needs to be planted a little bit earlier in the fall to guarantee that it'll survive the winter and be here next spring. But but that's what, what I would do then if I'm working on a chemical package to terminate. So now Nathaniel so saying- So Rick, what are you- Rick, yeah. what are you going to do with those? What are you going to do with those now? Are that that'd be a head of soybeans, and you're going to try to yeah. like harvest and double crop that, or yeah. you are going to try to crimp it anyway, or what? What are you going to do in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, we okay. We're going to attack this two or three ways, and and I know this is where it gets difficult for for people because there's no playbook here. Okay. I've got an idea today on December the 15th, but it's going to change 12 times between, between now and, and July 12th, okay? But so let's say now one of the choices is, and everyone now knows I'm really big on epigenetics. So now let's look at planting this, this, this mislin or mislin, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, planting this in the fall and next spring, the intention is to plant beans into this. And then we're going to come in and harvest right over the top of the beans like Mitchell would do and, and call that relay 
and then let the, the beans underneath come up and take off. Now we have our pre-mixture already being grown in the field of the rye, the barley, and the wheat. We harvest it, we put it in our bin, we, we, we we're gonna clean it, and then we're gonna take it, we're gonna send samples off to um, uh, Indiana lab and have them give us a germ test on it. And that will be the beginning product that we're gonna start with our main harvest then, those are the bushels we will use to start planting with. Okay, that's number one scenario. Number two scenario is to let this thing go and just harvest it when they're all ready to harvest and, and A, put them in a bin and do what I just described, keep this seed for your seed stock for your fall, or B, if you have a cattle feeder, a dairy, somebody close to you, they will buy this mixture because it's higher protein than corn. You'll get a premium for it and it raises their protein in their rations. So then we can sell this to them. Then we do not double crop soybeans. It's now July 20th and we come in with a 16-way cocktail and we absolutely hammer on building soil health. It's increasing carbon. It's increasing aggregate stability. It's, it's all of this stuff. Then you are now prepared to get ready for next year's cash crop. Um, uh, that second option is what I was thinking, Rick. And the biggest thing from my experience is that the issue with the relay cropping on it, and you know how much I love relay cropping, but the barley and the wheat are going to be a hindrance there because they're so short, and especially that barley, that seed head is going to droop down six, yep. seven, eight inches from when it was standing upright. And then your soybeans are going to be getting up into that and, uh, and it's going to be kind of tight um, as far as harvesting the barley and the wheat over the top of those beans. So that's going to be an issue. And the other thing with the relay cropping is you're going to have a lot of biomass out there and not a whole lot of light get down to those soybeans. Yeah. So um, I, I think I would factor it is if you've got a got some fields that we've really got to get ahead of the weeds, that this would be a good opportunity to break up that weed cycle, get the uh, the triad that you got going there, harvest it, and then like I said, hammer on it with the cocktail afterwards and go back yeah. to corn, plant it green into that mix the following year. Um, love the relay cropping for the uh, but for a wheat or barley, I think it would have to be a stripper head, if anything, if you are going to be um, that shorter stature and then uh, or put it in rows. But then because of the nature of the questionnaire with the weed suppression, if you've gotten in rows, yeah, you're not going to get that same type of weed suppression. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I and, and you're exactly right, because the first year we tried this uh, again, Mother Nature said, no, we're, we're not going to do it this way, Rick. But but it, it, what happened, uh, Mitchell, is exactly what you just said. The wheat, or I'm sorry, the beans outgrew the wheat before the wheat was ready mature in July, and we couldn't cut it because it was all below the, the beans. So that's when we really realized that co-mingling these cash crops is going to be the future because we just walked away and we didn't do anything to these fields. We didn't roll them. We didn't do anything. And now for the second year, our beans have been the best in the wheat that we did nothing to. We didn't roll it. 
We didn't weed zap them. We didn't do anything. We planted the wheat in the fall. The wheat grew in the spring. We came in when the fields were fit to plant in first week in May, drilled beans into the wheat and walked away. And those were the best beans we've had for two years in a row. So there's so many ways to attack this thing. And I love these ideas of co-mingling these cash crops. I love the ideas of cereal grains because now cereal grains open up the opportunity to get these massive cocktails out. And another thing, guys, is we have to learn and understand when are these weeds that you're talking about wanting to germinate. And now you change the trigger, like Mitchell said a minute ago. So let's say foxtail usually is coming on late in the season. Well, if we would go out and harvest this cereal grain and come back with a, a suffocating cover crop, the foxtail will not be an issue. We've changed the trigger of when that foxtail wants to germinate. So these are ways we can start working with Mother Nature. And I think you're going to find the same thing with Johnson grass, velvet leaf, and all of these other things. So, but again... Oh, yeah. The number one thing is soil health and balance. That's the number one thing. Yeah. No, and I think uh, could harvest that straw or harvest a little bit high too. So you got plenty of cover out there to try to yeah. uh, let that cocktail have a little bit of time to get up and get everything covered. But um, hey, Rick, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop. I know you probably got to get get going too. You didn't have a ton of time here tonight, but appreciate you letting me come in and yeah. hang out. It's been fun. Congrats on a great year of doing these podcasts Thank and uh, look forward to, to uh, big 2023. Merry Christmas to, uh, to you and everybody on. And, Thank uh, you. I'll, I'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks, Mitchell. Have a good one. We're going to stay on folks, but thanks Mitchell. Bye. Okay. All right, Roger, are there any resources to know what weed is susceptible to what nutrient? Yes. Uh, oh, I don't have the books with me. I went to the Acres Bookstore, A-C-R-E-S. It's a great organization. And uh, you know what? I, I apologize. I don't have them in my mind, what, what I'm wanting to pull out. But there are three books I found in there from different authors that will tell you what we, why you have certain weeds where you farm. And I promise I will put a, a social media blast out on the three books I'm talking about sometime, if not this week, uh, next week. And I've learned a lot. I mean, I'm sitting there looking at, yep, that's what, okay, I've got that. I checked that box. Yep, I checked that box off. Yep, that box. That's why we have that weed, whatever that is. Now, it's funny you talk about windmill grass because I had a Zoom consultation with farmers in southeastern Colorado, and they were having the exact same problem. They called it windmill grass. Never heard of it. And they were going to try and do things out there a little bit differently than the norm and they don't want to do tillage, but here's what I suggested to them. And, I, and as everyone knows, I'm not a very big proponent of tillage, but sometimes we might have to reset something. So this was my suggestion. I said, go out and till maybe one or two acres and try and get 
this windmill grass taken out and then do this at the time of year when you can come right back with a cover crop and absolutely suffocate this windmill grass. Now, again, I don't know if this is going to work, but I suggested they do it on one or two acres and only, and then see if they can get ahead. So sometimes I'm going to have to, you know, be a little less stubborn and we're going to have to realize that we may have to hit a reset button. I'm not saying, I'm not promoting tillage here. That's, don't get me wrong. I don't want to till. But sometimes it may be necessary to have the right end result that we want. So, but I still think even if you do this, you got to go shallow, you got to stay shallow and, and just be cautious with it. Um, Andrew Moore, how do you or would you market yourself to landlords who are unaware of regenerative practices and are close? to unwilling to understand the regenerative method. Yep, got it, I'm there. We are farming regenerative and we have some fields that don't look as clean as our neighbors. Yep, I'm there too. Some landlords get upset with us because we are different and the fields we rent aren't the same as conventionally farmed fields. We're in Putnam County, uh, central Indiana. That's just south of me. We have some neighbors that will use minimum covers but terminate at three to four inches. Yeah, I know this is very difficult, Andrew. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know if you were on at the very beginning, but it just amazes me how we're at record high levels of inputs. Uh, cash rents are going sky high and everyone is still out there grabbing for all the acres they can possibly get their hands on. It, it just, it, it baffles me, but but to answer your question, what we've done over the years is we've created uh, ring binders and we've put all of our information that we do to that farm in a ring binder. We put soil tests whenever it's time to take soil tests. We put all of these things in there. Matter of fact, I just had a conversation with one of the landlords this week, uh, wanting to know when we can sit down and go through all this information wanting to make sure we're all headed in the same direction toward building soil health, building human health. And, and we had a very good conversation uh, about the way we farm compared to our neighbors. And I was kind of stumbling for the right word to use. And he helped me and he filled in my blank. And he said, are you talking about your unorthodox ways of farming, Rick? And I said, yeah, that's, that's a good word to use, unorthodox. So we are way different than everybody else. And, and I'm good with that. I'm great with that. I don't want to farm like everybody else. So you just have to constantly be educating your landlords and helping them. I, you know, Andrew, I have full faith that, you know, I don't know how old you are. I'm 58. It may not happen in my lifetime, but I've got a, a daughter and a son-in-law coming. They have a son. I've got a, another daughter and son-in-law. They have a, da a daughter. So I've got granddaughters or granddaughter and a grandson. I am confident that in some time in the near future, the way we are talking about farming will become the norm. 
Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen in my lifetime, but it is coming. And, and, and what I'm going to say is the changes that are taking place now are massive and they're fast. I mean, the technology and the money that's being poured into regenerative farming and regenerative concepts is mind boggling. So the more people we get on board, the quicker we're going to get to this is the way you're going to farm. So I always look at we are out ahead of everybody else. And then who are they going to come to and ask questions to and need advice from when they need to start switching millions of acres? So I know I may not have answered your question very well, but my, the main point here is, is stay with it and continue to educate and don't try to push anything down anybody's throat. Because if you do that, they're more than likely going to just push back. So be, be patient and, and things will come. Yeah, Bryce, I, stripper head. I, I like the notion of that. I really wish somebody in the area had one so I could try one. Um, and we've talked about this before. You don't think it's going to hurt the soybeans, do you? If we had to go down into that canopy, it's just going to flip those, those bean or I'm sorry, those uh, wheat heads right out and into the stripper head. That, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Uh, Michael Shaw, Mike from West Virginia, what cocktail would you use after harvesting the triad of grains? Oh, that's a good question. Depends on what your next crop's going to be. Uh, depends on what your next crop is going to be. Now, we got to remember, no matter how good your combine is, you're going to be leaving some of this behind out the back end or uh, you're going to have seeds that have already fallen out of the head because, you know, this stuff was mature in July. Now you're talking October. So there's going to be a lot of volunteer. So what I would probably do is I would back off, which we did this this year. I backed off the amount of grain that we applied with the, the air seeder because I feel like we've already got some that's going to come. And then if you're, depending again, what your cash crop's going to be, and again, how are you trying to terminate? We have to be careful because we are going to have volunteer everything on this farm. Everything. This is why I'm talking about we may need a tillage reset or some kind of a, a, an approved biological chemistry, as you will because we're starting to get everything growing in the spring, even though we didn't plant it. We've got clovers coming. We've got vetches coming. We've got the cereals coming now. Uh, we've even got volunteer tillage radish growing, which they're supposed to winter kill. So all of these things have a will to survive. And um, you're going to have volunteers. So to answer your question, it just depends. So let's let's talk about where Bryce is at. We got Bryce is in Kansas. So if I was in Kansas right now having this conversation, they would have kicked me out of the state by now because you cannot bring cereal rye into their wheat country. And I totally understand that. And they are exactly correct because 
you'll get every load rejected at the elevator if you've got rye in with that, that wheat because they need food-grade quality wheat to make bread and pasta and whatever else it is they make. So what I tell the folks in Kansas is, is do wheat as your cover crop then. And that now eliminates the, the risk of a rye carryover. So now back to your question, Michael, I would do something like a, depending on the year, if you had time, I would get clovers in there with it. I'd get vetches like five pounds of hairy vetch, five pounds of balanza fixation clover. I would have some radish in there, some sunflower, sun hemp, peas, and, and all of these things are going to winter kill except for the peas. Um, if you use a cold tolerant pea, that is, the vetch and the uh, clover. Then uh, you're ready and set up for a corn crop next, next spring. Again, what is your exit plan for termination? Because you will have volunteer rye, volunteer barley, and volunteer wheat. So if you're in a chemistry program, beautiful. Knock it down with some chemistry, plant your corn, cut your inputs in half, and away we go. All right. John, back to John from California. I think it was two years ago in a podcast with John Kemp, you lamented your corn grew slow and weak when coming out of a cover. Did you ever figure out something to fix that? Yes. I think we need, and I've been harping on this for a year now, and, and we're getting close here. We need a stimulant slash hormone slash um, uh, uh, something that what we need is to supercharge the seed. There's back there's there's microbial there's microbes on the seed. We now need to figure out how do we multiply and energize the microbes on the seed that then create the germ. And now you are getting your seeds out of the ground in half the time. That is where we need to get to, and we're heading in that direction. Great, great question. Benjamin, looking to trial camelina. I've been hearing a lot about this camelina. Similar to canola in central Ohio, needs to be planted mid-April for late July harvest. I like the sound of that. Do you have suggestions of cover crops that could be planted late summer and be roll crimped in April or winter killed? Oh boy, because see, rye's not going to be ready yet. Um, so you want to you wanna lay down a cover crop to get ready for your camelina. That's a great idea. Um, so, so if I've got this correct, you're going to plant this camelina then behind, like, say, a cereal grain. So you've harvested your cereal grain. You want a cover crop to get you from now until next April. So what I would do is I would do species that are going to winter kill. I would do 30 to 40 pounds of oats. I would do one to two pounds of radish, uh, five to six pounds of sorghum sudan, uh, two to three pounds of sunflower, two to three pounds of sun hemp, um, uh, five pounds of cow peas, uh, maybe even some uh, 4140 peas because they'll winter kill. Uh, what am I missing here? Um, Mm, I can't think. But my point here is, Benjamin, what I would focus on is a cocktail 
that is going to suppress weeds the rest of the summer, winter kill, create a mat. You now have the soil armored, and now you come in and just no-till right through that dead thatch and that mulch, your camelina, and, and away you go. I would not do any tillage in this situation because I'm afraid you're going to unleash the weeds. That's how I would attack it. I would work on species that would be winter killed. Ludmila, have you considered planting buckwheat or sunflowers after harvesting the cereal triad? Great question. Yes, we did uh, buckwheat this year and I absolutely loved it, but I messed up. And there was a question earlier about how did our buckwheat harvest go and I'm gonna answer it now. I messed up, it was my fault. We, no, not we, me, I decided that we were going to hammer down on soybeans. The, there was a weather event coming. It was, gonna, it was only calling for one to two tenths of an inch of rain. So I decided to hammer down and get as many beans harvested as we could. In the meantime, the buckwheat was mature and I should have been there harvesting the buckwheat. Instead of getting one to two tenths of an inch of rain, we got an inch and a half of rain. It flattened the buckwheat and it knocked probably 20% of the seeds out of the head. Oh man, was I sick. But we still got almost 900 pounds to the acre of buckwheat harvested, even after I screwed up. So yes, Ludmila, I love the notion of both of those. Um, and I especially love the notion of doing uh, sunflowers behind peas. So let's plant these cold tolerant peas in the fall for actually harvesting in the spring, early summer. Now we've got the fuel for the sunflowers. And actually what I might do at that point I might go out and lay down with the air seeder some oats for the weed suppression and then no-till the, the um, uh, sunflowers right into that. So there you go. All right. Uh, Michael Shaw, thanks, Rick, for your podcast. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You bet, Mike. I love doing this. It, it does get hard uh, to do this every week. I will admit that. Uh, again, uh, Ludmila has been wonderful for me. She's from Ukraine. Uh, she has given me several suggestions of folks to have on the podcast. I'm going to throw it out now to anyone who's still listening or may listen to this as a, as a recording later on. Please contact our web uh, page, www.farmgreen.land. Give any suggestions on folks we should have on the podcast. There are so many people out there. Now, as most of you realize, I haven't had very many farmers on yet. I need to focus more on the people in the trenches doing what we're talking about. So we're going to start to pull in more farmers that are doing this. I love the, the agroecologist people who are doing this. I love the ecology people. I love the, the weed science people. Uh, the the Lude Mila is a PhD. I love these people that are on here. They keep me straight and 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 they keep informing me of everything I'm unaware of, which is awesome. Uh, 
was there Lude Milo is asking was there anything new for you at the event you meant at the event you mentioned uh, the acres event uh, yes there I, I I got the pleasure to see Dr. James White in person uh, from Rutgers University I got to see him in person in Sacramento and he absolutely blew my doors off and I had him on the podcast a few weeks back and he was at acres again this 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 rhizophagy he talks about, is is next level stuff i mean this is the proof that that the whole microbial community is talking and and communicating like we all knew they were but this this notion of rhizophagy is confirming that and and then of course i spent i spent all day with john kemp john kemp and i had a had a class that we taught i don't know a couple hundred people and and it was the best thing i've i've ever done as far as teaching people with uh, with John is, is John is an amazing individual, absolutely amazing. So yeah, there were a couple things. Um, uh, Andrew, great, thank you, Rick, for that answer. We definitely will implement the binder idea. Okay, good deal. Uh, Bryce, the best way to sell Regen is that is that is at farmer led, not big ag. You got that right. That's exactly right uh hey deanna how you doing deanna lazinski what's happening here uh stripper head will strip the leaves off the beans and the tops of the beans off we run stripper heads and small grains love it but not relay cropping in north dakota okay i didn't know how hard it'd be on the beans all right it's going to be it's going to be pretty hard then okay thank thank you deanna hope you're having a great uh uh great cool time in north dakota my gosh i you know when 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 people say, I ask people, how deep do you have to bury your water line here? And you know how deep the people in North Dakota have to bury their water lines? Nine, eight to nine feet deep, so they don't freeze. That's cold when you got to bury water lines that deep. I don't know how you do it up there. Jessica Nad, how you doing, Jess? Everything good with you? Uh, Dr. Trish Jackson, have her on podcast. Yes. Um, uh, help me out, uh, Jessica. I forgot the name of the organization. Um, uh, you'll you'll help me here. I can't remember. Gail Fuller. Yep, we'll have to get Gail on. Uh, Prairie Foods. Yes. Um, uh, yes. Okay. What we got here, Andrew? Uh, let's see. No-till sunflowers in the green living oats and let them coexist. Yes, that's what I would do. I I and I'm talking maybe uh maybe only 20 pounds of oats here uh you don't want to suffocate and smother out the sunflowers here and i would have these two planted pretty close to the same time you want to get the sunflowers out of the ground and get them going so uh yes i would i would let the and and see the rye or i'm sorry the oats are gonna are gonna uh, give up when you get to the dog days of summer they're gonna be done and the sun, the sunflowers will just take off and should be should be good good to go. Uh, Jay, could you romo for weeds in between corn where where could you find one for sale? Yes, you sure could romo. We've got one. It's not for sale, but yes, you could romo uh, weeds in between the row crops. We've done it. <coughs> Excuse me. It's okay. It's not great, but it is better than doing nothing. Yes. Deanna replied back, you're right, Rick. It's eight feet deep water lines. Isn't that crazy? Eight feet deep. 
Jessica Nad doing great. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you and everyone. Um, Deanna, our whole state has been closed for four days. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how you guys do it up there. You know, I got out of Montana just in time because they're just in blizzard conditions out there. So, yeah. All right. Well, and Andrew says, great. Um, I'll tell you what, guys, I need to get going here tonight. We Believe it or not, we've already gone for an hour. Um, I need to get to uh, my, my cousin passed away uh, three days ago, and I need to get to the funeral home. Uh, Merry Christmas, Rick. Uh, this is from Claudia. Um, thank you so much for all the support. Um, we we absolutely love what we're doing. We love this community. We love it takes a village. We all know that, and we need everyone here. The more people that we get on board doing this, the more people we can get convinced that this is the way the farming needs to be. So thank you so much. Uh, we're gonna. This is it for the rest of 23. I'm not sure how soon we'll start in January, but. We'll get rolling again and, and we'll get going. So thank you so much. Everyone have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas and bye-bye. And thank you. Bye-bye.